Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, 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 what's happening, my friends? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. My name is Grant Baldwin. Good to have you here with us today. Hope you're doing well. Hope life is treating you good. We've got a great episode for you today. We are uh, talking with my buddy Paul Evans, and we're going to be getting into his story, how he got into speaking, how he's built his speaking business. And one of the things I really like about Paul... And one of the things I think is really helpful in our conversation here is Paul is a guy who speaks to a couple different markets, a couple different types of audiences, and but he speaks on similar subjects and topics and shares his story. He's got a crazy story, which we'll talk about today. But I know a lot of you may be interested in speaking to multiple markets and are just trying to figure out how do you actually do that? And so we talk about this a little bit in some previous episodes we touch on, but Paul is a great, great example of this, of how he has built his speaking business. And so he is really built a successful speaking business. And in fact, uh, more than what we're just going to talk about today, he and I are going to be co-hosting a live online training in just a couple of days. It's going to be on May the 19th. Again, that is May the 19th. You're going to want to come hang out with us, with Paul and I. If you are listening to this way into the future, you missed it, my friends. However, you can still go and uh, register and try to get the replay of the training that we offered. But you're definitely going to want to stop by thespeakerlab.com slash Paul. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash Paul to register for that training. It's totally free, totally online, totally live. So you're going to want to be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Again, you can find that over at thespeakerlab.com slash Paul. All right, let's get into the conversation to chat Chatteroo with my buddy, Paul Evans. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, we are joined by my buddy, Paul Evans. Paul and I are actually going to be co-hosting a live training coming up on May 19th. So that's definitely something you're not going to want to miss. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But Paul's also an accomplished speaker himself, has done a lot, still continues to do a lot of speaking. So we'll talk about his speaking journey as well. So Paul, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, Grant. Love being here. I appreciate the invitation. You bet, buddy. So uh, first of all, let's kind of talk about this. You like I mentioned, still do a lot of speaking yourself and are a speaker. So why don't you give us a high level view? What do you speak about? Who do you speak to? And kind of how does speaking fit into your business? Well, probably like a lot of us, I've got a lot of different niches that I'm in. I would say primarily is faith-based and corporate business and then also life insurance. So that's a big part of my story. Yeah, I do a lot of speaking in life insurance. That's actually how I got started as far as what we would call a professional speaker where, you know, this is where I'm spending a lot of my time, a lot of my energy and a lot of my focus. And that actually happened because my first wife passed away in my arms when I was 24 years old. Wow. And so out of that came, you know, how do we take this message to the world? How do we take what I've learned 
through this and not simply be, quote, a grief recovery speaker, but instead, how would it be able to aid those who are out there in need of of this type of message? So, you know, I thought about churches, hospitals, even funeral homes. And I thought, well, you know, life insurance, I received such great, not only coverage, but the way that they handled the entire beneficiary process uh, was so amazing to me that I thought that it would be a huge encouragement to this field that most people don't go, I cannot wait to get me some life insurance. So how, you know, they hear no more than just about anybody. So I wanted to make sure that they were encouraged by a positive experience in their industry. Well, first of all, I'm just, I'm curious, and you don't have to answer this, but do you mind me asking what happened with your wife? Yeah, I don't mind at all. Uh, We actually had a very difficult pregnancy. The first trimester was really okay. The second trimester, uh, there were some complications. There was one point in which we actually thought that we were going to lose our child, and we were told that there would be some some severe brain damage. And then when the, the day actually came for the birth, when we went into the hospital and she was induced, her name was Sherry, she was induced, every contraction that Sam went into duress and they basically said the umbilical cord is wrapped around his neck and he's basically choking. He's dying in the womb and had to do an emergency C-section. And it turns out that Sam was born 100% healthy. And we went home from the hospital a few days later. And then about five weeks after that, I stayed home and I was actually holding Sam and, and Sherry was asleep on the couch and her body began to convulse. And so long story short, uh, she passed away. I was actually doing CPR on her when the medics arrived. And ultimately what she died from was technically on the death certificate is heart attack, but it was triggered by viral meningitis, which we didn't even know she had. We thought she kind of had some flu-like symptoms. And ultimately, that's what it was. It triggered a heart attack, and so she passed away. Unbelievable, man. That is yeah. insane. So, so I'm curious, okay, for some people listening to this who, who are interested in speaking, maybe they don't have some type of just crazy story, but I know for some yeah. people, they do They do have some type of story. There's something of like, you know, this some crazy situation or circumstance happened to me, and, and sometimes it, it's extremely tragic, sometimes it's triumphant, uh, right. it's something that I know I could talk about. So how did you kind of go from, okay, I've had this horrible experience, some people are asking me to speak about it from time to time, how do you kind of make that transition of, I have something that I want to talk about, but even like you said, there's a bunch of different types of markets where it could work, so how did you kind of narrow down and figure out what was going to make sense for you? Well, I was thinking from the standpoint of where is it going to have a major impact? Where is the market large enough? And where does the market have a budget? Yeah. You know, so that really was part of my thinking. It wasn't simply, hey, I've got the story and I simply want to do good because I was doing a lot of faith-based speaking at that time. So I felt like I was contributing to the free value economy in a lot of ways. I might have received an honorarium. They might have done a love offering. That was okay, but that wasn't going to necessarily pay the bills, at least at that time. Mm -hmm. And so as I looked and I thought about who I felt like I could connect with the most and learn the industry and hopefully build a business there, then life insurance became the gateway for that because I knew that it would have that positive impact. And I also knew that they had a variety of levels of meetings. They had their local meetings, they had their regional meetings, and then they had their national meetings. And so my goal was to be in as many places as possible, have as big an impact as possible, and then actually learn their structure as far as 
what they could or could not pay. Gotcha. That makes sense. Now, today you mentioned that you speak to a variety of different markets, so life insurance being one, faith-based, right. corporations. So I think there's also some people that are listening going like, okay, I'm in a similar spot of I know what I want to talk about, and I know I, you know whether I have a story or not, but I know what I want to say. I'm just having trouble narrowing down the market. You speak to a couple of different markets. So how has that kind of worked? Because even though the maybe I would assume that the general message may be pretty much the same, but the way you communicate that in a faith-based environment is very, very different than the way you'd communicate it to a, a group of life insurance agents. So how do you kind of navigate communicating to different types, like in your marketing materials, communicating to different types of niches without it getting confusing? Right. So my niches are only aware of where I am in that particular area. So life insurance, I've got a site called Life Insurance Keynote Speaker. Okay. So that's pretty clear. They don't see the faith-based side as far as my listings of those topics, and they don't see the corporate side or the, quote, motivational side of that type of speaking at all. So I just don't present that because I don't want them to get confused. I don't want them to go, now, wait a minute. I thought he spoke on X, but he's also doing this over here. We all know that the confused mind does not make a decision. And so with life insurance, for me, there's the primary topic. You know, there is uh, actually the keynote is called Super Agent. And so that is the keynote that I do. And then from that, I can end up doing webinars for them on my more traditional training, such as, you know, mindset and productivity, goal setting, some of the things that most of us probably present on that are in the corporate world. But I always start with my keynote and then allow the rest of the business to flow from there. In terms of the content itself, is there anything like vastly different? I mean, obviously you have a little bit of different context, but is it anything vastly different in terms of the content that you're giving in a faith-based market versus in a, you know, to life insurance agents? Yeah, it's vastly different. It is totally different keynotes. Now, I know a lot of people just do a little bit of, of a different tweak, but for the faith-based market, then it is going to be heavily bound up in just certain passages and stories that really, you know, it's not even the same points at all. Because in life insurance, I'm saying things along the lines of it's about people, not just process, or it's about friendship, not just financial representation. You know, so I'm not going to go in and say that to a church crowd at all or a faith-based crowd. It's going to be something totally different. And then in the corporate market, I don't use those same points either. I do more of a a straight here are five elements of how we determine what our success is going to look like in life. And then I have five different points for them all together. So when I'm speaking of life insurance, it's very much based in that industry. A few weeks ago, I was speaking for the Society of Exploration Geophysicist. And so, you know, that was a, a totally different like market. But I, yeah, but I took, yeah, you know, because I'm just such a geophysicist <laughs> myself. And, and so what we ended up doing was really focusing on the goal setting part and what they needed in a transition they were in. So I didn't have to massage that particular message for corporates too much, customized it, but it's totally different than what I do in life insurance and faith-based. Are you sharing your story in, in all those different, I mean, obviously in the life insurance setting, yeah. but in the other context, are you sharing your story? I do. I do. I usually start with the story and it really depends. Let me give you a couple of different examples. With life insurance, I do what I call story crafting and it is the entire keynote is the story with stops along the way to pull the points out and to go a little bit deeper for their industry. Faith-based and corporate, I tell the story to begin with. 
the en- entire scene. And then with faith-based, I move more into what's that mean to us in our day-to-day. And with the corporates, it's more based on how do we see what our value is, what matters the most, what the priority should be, and make sure that we're doing that. Because when it comes to loss in our own personal lives, we very quickly have a shift in the vision of our life, how we want our life to go, and how we are are going to live that life. Because suddenly, things that used to seem to be important are not at all. So in the corporate realm, I'll say something very similar. You know, we've got a lot of actions that you're taking in your business and in your company that are not essential at all. But because you're not looking at it through the eyes of loss, you're not able to see whether or not the true value is there. And so we start talking about some of the company losses that they've experienced, and then we adjust their vision. So it is a totally different keynote, but it all comes from the same core story. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay, Paul, I'm curious because you said you do a lot of speaking in the faith-based market. So I'm kind of wondering, like, how have you been able to make that work financially? Because like you kind of alluded to, as someone who's come from a, a you know the church world and been in ministry, I know that churches are pretty limited. And so how have you made that work? How does faith-based speaking fit into your business? Well, first of all, let me be upfront and say I've never had my entire business set on the faith-based world. I've always had the corporate world or the life insurance world and even my personal products that are online. So that's been a little bit of a cushion for me that allowed me to make some decisions that were a little bit different than some others might make simply because it may be the only source of what they're doing. Now, with that in mind, it is hard to to go in and depend off of love offerings because, you know, I'm not saying that churches are known at times to be cheap, but the truth is they might bring a band in and pay them a ton of money because that's what their contract is. And then with us, sometimes as speakers, they just feel like, well, you know, we have somebody week in and week out. Maybe we shouldn't pay you as much. I think establishing your brand is critical. I think being known for what you speak on and in your arena that you've built that brand and you've built that name and then you have the books or the products to go along with it, you're going to find that there's not near as much pushback on that. Now, you and I are both friends with Ken Davis, and you know that he speaks to a lot of faith-based places, and he's probably not getting the argument that some of us who are getting established get at times. And so that's because of through the years, he's got the brand there. And we have to be aware, too, that smaller churches are going to pay smaller, and larger churches will pay at a higher level. And also, you've got to look at things like weekend retreats that churches may do, or later this year, I'm doing a conference youth conference that probably has about 3,000 teens that will be speaking at that. And so their budget is higher as well. So in the faith-based world, yes, do the small churches, do the medium size, do the large. But if you can also get into some events that actually have budgets, it will shift what you're able to command fee-wise. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. So it sounds like basically that you have products that you can also rely on that you also have different types of markets that you can rely on. So you don't, you don't, it sounds like you just don't have all your eggs in, in one basket, faith-based or otherwise. Right, I don't. Okay. What has worked for you in terms of just actually finding booking? So if, if I'm listening to this going, okay, I've, you know, either I've got a story, I don't have a story, I, I know what I want to talk about. What has worked for you, you know, especially early on, but even today on how do you actually find bookings? How do you find leads for, for events? Okay, so I've done the same thing since the very beginning. 
even without like a speaker sheet and some of the traditional tools. And my goal was always to be in front of a crowd with multiple buyers. I mean, that's basically the start and finish of it. So my very beginning in life insurance, I was talking to actually one of my agents and he said, man, you know, we really do need to bring your story in. And I said, well, that's great. And he goes, well, let's bring you to my a local office and have you speak on it. I said, no, I don't want to do that. Is there a an event coming up that has multiple agencies? And he said, you mean multiple agents? I said, no, is there an event coming up that has multiple agencies? Like your company is there and their company is there and so-and-so's company is there. He said, yeah, actually we do. We have one that about 20 different companies come to. And I said, I'll speak at that. And that would put me in front of technically 20 different buyers. Gotcha. And so he said, well, let me give you the name of the guy that's in charge of that. I said, I'm not going to call him up because I don't know him. And he said, well, how are you going to get booked? I said, you're going to call him and tell him that they need me to speak at this. (laughs) And so he did. And so that was, and actually I've got some training on that that is called the amateur agent, where you turn people into your agent for you. And that worked so well that every time after that, I've gotten somebody else to book me. So let's say, you know, that's 25 years ago. Well, not long ago at all, just a couple of months, I was sitting down with one of my life insurance buddies and he said, you know, we got this kickoff event coming up and we need to get you there. I said, well, who's in charge of that? And he mentioned the guy's name. I said, well, you know, let's get together with him. And he said, well, I'll just give you his name and number. I said, nope. No, I need you to contact him for me. I don't want a referral. I want a recommendation. That's what, to me, getting booked is about personally, is I don't want a referral. I want a recommendation. And so he recommended me, talked to this guy, and got booked. And then later that day, I received three more invitations for different kickoff events within this company. And so I called the guy up. I said, well, you know, I don't understand where this is coming from. He said, oh, right after we got off the phone... I was on a conference call with a bunch of our other division leaders, and I told them that they needed to book you for this. And he had not heard me speak or anything, but because my agent had, he was willing to give that recommendation. And so for me, that's one way that I'm still getting booked is that there's going to be that connection. And folks who are starting out and say they're trying to get some bookings and my recommendation for them would be, yeah, go to the warm market, go to the people that you know. And if they're working at a company and they're the secretary and yet they have meetings, get the secretary to talk to the boss to get you invited so that it's not simply the referral. It is the recommendation. I think a lot of people are dreaming so much about getting booked that they're forgetting that network that they're really close to right now. Why is it that the recommendation is so much more powerful than the referral? Well, it's true for all of us. You know, if somebody goes and sees a movie and says, wow, that movie was great, you've got to go see it. Most of the time we don't go, we, I'm going to need to get a review on that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to need to listen to somebody who has got some authority. Right. We just trust people close to us. And at least in my experience, a recommendation where somebody is in the gap for you and says, this is who you need to get. I get booked probably eight times out of 10 on that ticket than if I'm out there 
just cold, or even if I go, hey, I got your number from Joe, and Joe said to give you a call, I'm a speaker, and I'm having to explain everything that I do, it's still, I'm still selling. I'm still selling myself. Whereas Joe makes the phone call and says, hey, we got this kickoff event coming up. I've got a buddy of mine, or I've got a friend of mine, or I heard this guy speak at X event, and the story is really powerful. I think that we need to get him in. So really, I mean, you're, you're building your business primarily on word of mouth and, and those recommendations. Yeah, absolutely. And then after I've been to an event, then I do the standard, like we've all been taught, is to call up the person who booked us and say, is there anybody else that you know is interested in this or this could be useful for? And nine times out of 10, they say, yeah, I've got somebody perfect in mind. And they'll say, let me give you their name and number. And I go, no, I don't want their name and number. I want you to call them because I want all of the contact coming my way as much as possible. Gotcha. So, so I don't want their name and number. As long as you've got their name and number, that's what, yeah. that's what matters. Yeah, yeah. And so, because, I mean, we're all, it doesn't matter who our friend is. If we get the call from somebody that says like, hey, Grant, my name's Joe, and I got your name from Paul Evans. He said I need to give you a call. Yeah. I don't know that Grant's just going, I know this is going to be awesome. Or he's going to go, wait a minute, as Paul said, he's getting me to buy something. What's going on? I've been set up. I'm now in somebody's contact database and I'll never get rid of this guy. But if somebody else calls you and makes a recommendation and says, hey, I want you to, to give so-and-so a call, it makes a big difference. It's a huge shortcut to me. That makes a huge, yeah, that makes total sense. Now, let's uh, let's transition a little bit here because part of being able to build those recommendations and build word of mouth is not only being good off stage, but being really, really good on stage. So it's the type of thing when you go see that movie that makes you want to talk about it. It wasn't because they had any slick marketing. It's because the movie itself was really dang good. So right. the same thing is true with speaking. And so you and I, were going to be a, a co-hosting a, a free training coming up May 19th, May 19th, which is going to be just a couple days away from now, where we're going to be talking about how to create that amazing presentation, that perfect presentation. So why don't you, let's start with this. We're going to be talking partly about just how to create a, a structure of a talk. So I know some people may be going, okay, I've got this gig coming up. I have an idea of what I want to talk about. I'm looking at a blank screen. I have no idea what to do now. How do I begin to create one of those talks that gets those recommendations and gets me additional bookings? Yeah, well, that's, and we'll definitely be covering a lot of that. Let's try to summarize and keep it super tight. Is that we want to make sure that, first of all, it's all about the audience. You know, I want to share what I'm familiar with and what I feel solid on, but I want to be thinking about that audience and thinking, what in the world could I do that would make such an impact that they're going to walk away and say, it was worth me being here? I usually think about content in three standpoints. Number one, it needs to be memorable. Secondly, it needs to be portable. And third, it needs to be shareable. And so I want to create a structure that's memorable and not just for the audience. I want to be able to remember it. I've never been a manuscript person or a memorization person. I go up like with a post-it note. And as long as I can get back to my points and, and realize where I am, I'm okay, right? And when I think about it being memorable, I want to be able to memorize or not memorize it, but to know it. And I've talked to a lot of speakers when I go, well, what do you speak about? And they'll tell me, and I'll go, well, give me some of your points, and they don't know any of them. Yeah. You know, they're just kind of stuck on it. And there's no memory there at all because they've really got an idea that they like talking about, but they don't really have content right. that's memorable. And then it's portable that the audience can go in and take it with them. And that means that we're creating a structure that whether we're using alliteration or we've just got something that's very simple 
that people walk away and they actually know what we said and they know what it meant. And then shareable means that when their friends ask them about it, they go, oh, this was what it was. That's like with a movie, we go, yeah, this is exactly what happened. And I don't want to give the ending away, but it was really good in X, Y, and Z because a movie is very memorable, very portable, and very shareable. And so we want the same thing within our messages so that we set them up in a way that we remember it, the audience walks away with it, and they can tell other people about it. And you know, that I like that you brought up that shareable piece because it's the part of the challenge with being a speaker is even if you see a really, really good speaker, a week later, you will remember, you know, 5% of what they said, you know, it's almost similar to like church, you know, you, yeah. you go hear an amazing Sunday morning sermon and that afternoon you're like, dang, I just, <laughs> I, I remember like the title or remember like a point maybe, but that was uh, like a story. So how do you create the type of talk that is shareable? That is the type of thing that people remember. And so again, we're going to be going more in depth on that on May 19th. Why don't you give us like, you got any other things of what else we're going to be talking about? What other things are, are people going to learn on that training? Yeah, we're really going to be talking about engaging our audience. I tentatively like call this how to avoid becoming a human tranquilizer. You know, we don't want to put anybody to sleep. We want them to be engaged. We want them to really stay locked in. I'll even be giving some tips and some insights on, you know, what do you do when you lose the audience? Yeah. What happens when you can tell they're drifting? What do you do when you get lost? You know, sometimes we're so scared. What happens if I freeze? And we're going to be talking about some of those elements and then how to actually structure the talk in a way that is so valuable that you step to the stage and you're like, I can't wait to give this. Not because I'm excited for me, but because you're excited for them. This is one of the things that I really believe about our messages is that they should be so valuable that we don't think the audience should be anywhere else. Because if we're speaking to 100 people and we stink it up, well, we didn't waste an hour. We wasted a hundred man hours that could have been used in the world in a different way, in a more valuable way. So we need to be bringing the type of content and the type of message that we're able to say, you know what? In all honesty, without arrogance, but with confidence, we can say there's no better place for this audience to be than hearing this message right here, right now, because of the impact that it's going to make. And I think that really ties it together well is that the people that, that like ourselves that want to be a speaker, yes, we want to do this you know, to make a living. We all want to eat and live indoors. That's well and good. But <laughs> we also do this because we just we want to make some type of difference. We want to make some type of impact. And speaking is a phenomenal, phenomenal way to do that. And so how do you make that type of impact? You have to be really dialed in on the presentation that you're giving. And so uh, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Plus, to kind of tie into what we were talking about earlier, that your best marketing is just showing up and doing a great job. Yeah. You know, like you kind of a, you gave a great analogy with the movie of you go share the movies that you like your favorite movies, the best movies that you see. You go tell the world about it. You go post on social media. You recommend it to friends. Not because at the end on the credits they say, hey, do us a favor and go tell people about it. It's like, no, no, <laughs> this is so stinking good. I have to tell people about it. And so your best marketing is delivering that perfect presentation. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Again, that's going to be the Thursday, May the 19th. Thursday, May the 19th. going to be a lot of fun. Totally free. Totally live. We're going to be there hanging out. We want you to be there. You can register for that by going to thespeakerlab.com slash Paul. 
thespeakerlab.com slash Paul. That's P-A-U-L. So make sure that you register for that. If you are listening to this way into the future, welcome back. Make sure that you subscribe <laughs> and that you don't miss upcoming episodes so you don't miss these free live trainings that we're doing. Uh, but still, go ahead and you can try registering and we'll see if we can get you a, at least a replay on that perhaps. But definitely stop by thespeakerlab.com slash Paul. All right, Paul, in the meantime, between now and that, uh, that free training we're going to be doing, where can people check you out if we want to find out more about you and what you're up to uh, online? Where can we go? Uh, a couple of places they can come to paulbevans.com or they can go to milliondollarkeynote.com. Beautiful. Well, we will be sure. And just for a frame of reference, you mentioned what was the life insurance one? Yeah, lifeinsurancekeynotespeaker.com. Okay, lifeinsurancekeynotespeaker. And again, I think it's helpful for people who I want to speak in different markets, but I want I need to communicate in different ways. I like that you have a totally separate uh, you know, site for that. So we can uh, we'll link to that as well. So Paul, looking forward to hanging out May 19th. We'll talk to you then. Good times. Thanks, Grant. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Paul Evans. Again, Paul and I are going to be co-hosting a, uh, a live online training in just a couple days on May the 19th. May the 19th, that's when you're going to want to join us. Again, you can register for that by going over to thespeakerlab.com slash Paul. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash Paul. We want you to be there. You needs to be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Again, totally live training, totally free. Going to answer a lot of your Q&A. Uh, answer your Q&A? We're going to answer your cues with our A's. That sounds weird. I'm not even going to edit that out, though. So definitely come join us. Again, that's going to be May 19th. Register over at thespeakerlab.com slash Paul, and we will see you there, my friends. That wraps up episode 63. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.